Good evening. Hello, Daniel. <laughs> uh, if anyone would like a handout for tonight that did not get one, wave your hand. Jeremiah will make sure uh, you get one. I guess not, Jer. A couple of questions as we begin. What does it mean to make disciples? Is making a disciple a process or an event? Is making disciples something we add to our lives individually or to the ministry of our local church? Is there a difference between a believer and a disciple? So what is disciple-making? I'm going to attempt to give a definition of what, disip- what disciple-making is. And I'm not saying I'm totally right, but I think these are some items that are involved. Disciple-making is a lifestyle of walking with God, knowing Christ, living in the Spirit, with an ambassador mindset which results in, and we'll touch on that in just a moment. Just a lifestyle, 24-7, of walking with God, knowing Christ, living in the Spirit, with an ambassador mindset. See, being an ambassador is not something we do at points in time. That is our life. So we're walking with God, knowing Christ, living in the Spirit with an ambassador mindset 24-7. Not something we do at points in time. It is a lifestyle, recognizing it as a lifestyle. So whether you're on the job, whether you're shopping, whether you're in school, or whether you're driving, see that as part of walking with God, living in Christ, living in the, or knowing Christ, living in the Spirit, and being an ambassador. So if you have in your car... In the back bumper, hunk if you love Jesus, then please don't drive over the speed limit. Because your hunk says one thing, you're driving over the speed limit is not living as an ambassador. You know, they're inconsistent. If you say to someone, I love you, and then don't interact with them for the next how many weeks or months, no, then there's something probably going on there. It's just a lifestyle. Making disciples is not something we add to life. So making a disciple involves relating to unbelievers on their turf. Wherever you are with unbelievers, see yourself as involved in making disciples. You're relating to unbelievers on their turf, where they live. Where they, re- or, uh, where they work, where they go to school, where they shop, and so on. You're relating to them on their turf. Somewhere along the line, it involves verbalizing the gospel. I said somewhere along the line. Verbalizing the gospel is part of making disciples, but it's not all that is involved in making disciples. Many times we think of making disciples as 
talking about Christ and sharing verbally. It's, no, much broader than that. That is one thing at a point in time. Making disciples can be helping in the birth of a sinner. You know, that is the birth of a sinner coming to Christ. Helping in the birth, you may have talked to them. Maybe someone else talked to them. And they may say, you know, how do I have a relationship with God? Can you tell me about it? It also involves teaching a new believer to walk with God, to know Christ, to live in the Spirit with an ambassador mindset. And again, I would emphasize teaching a new believer to walk with God, knowing Christ and live in the Spirit is not something that happens at points in time. On your job, if the way you have worked and related to people has opened a door of opportunity to share Christ and someone has come to Christ, you can be discipling that co-worker day by day as you live, as you respond, and how you relate on the job. A parent can be discipling their children day by day. It's not necessarily limited to points in time. So, my encouragement would be to do not view disciple-making as something you add to your life. See it as daily life. Some may be formal, but most will be informal. As we obey Scripture, many other things fall into place. Well, I'm going to have to make some disciples. So this is something, well, I've got to plan Thursday night. I'm going to make disciples. No, see, making disciples is part of your life. It is your life. The way you live, the way you verbalize, and so on. So you're... Uh, Talking to someone, maybe you run across them shopping or a neighbor and they whine and complain about uh, what's happening in the Middle East with, you know, the U.S. wanting to get involved. You know, we're going to have ground troops in Iraq and or are we not going to have ground troops and do we believe our president, etc. And, you know, you can get into some pretty heated conversations about things like that. And you can also become very discouraged. Do we see that as part of making disciples when we relate to a non-believer? We say to them, why are you so worried about this? Oh, I don't know what's going to happen in the world. I don't need to be worried and I don't need to fret. Why don't you need to worry and why do you need to fret? Because I know the one who's in control of the universe. I know the one who has written history in the future in the book of Revelation. And he says, here's what's going to happen. Well, what if something happens to our country? Well, then it happens. It's under God's sovereignty. See, that's part of making disciples is living day by day, talking Christ. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 is given to the 11. Christ has risen from the dead. He's already completed his work. He's lived his life. And the 11 are being spoken to by Christ. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, the Greek probably could better be worded, while going, make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Speaking to the eleven, he says, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and then teach them. So we know the eleven obeyed, along with Paul, who I believe is the twelfth apostle, and they made disciples. Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. That's what they did. People came to Christ. They went into various parts of the world, and then the epistles teach those believers in Christ, those disciples of Christ, how to live. We won't turn to it, but we could turn to Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3, we find that Jesus selected 12 just to be with him, not to hang around with him. Mark chapter 2 would tie in with the same thing. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, it talks about the early church, the fact that they made disciples. You know, and the disciples had fellowship and so on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, through chapter 6 and verse 2, Paul talks about the fact that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation and we are ambassadors. Ambassador is not something you do. It's your life. If you are a disciple of Christ... You are an ambassador. It's an issue of what kind? No, we are ambassadors if we have come to faith in Christ. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul very strongly emphasizes you know, being in Christ, what we have in Christ. In Christ, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, we've been adopted. In Christ, we've been redeemed. In Christ, we've been forgiven, and along with a host of other items. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, he talks about how to live. And he's writing to believers in a settled community. The 12 went out to various parts of the world. When we get to Ephesians, Paul is giving guidance on how to live in a settled community as an ambassador. Verse 1 of chapter 4, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Where is the calling? We've been called heavenward, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. He goes on in verse 2, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now think about life. Be completely humble. I can't handle life. Hum humbleness is, I need someone to help. Be completely humble and gentle. Gentle, accepting the circumstances that come into your life without becoming bitter. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, if you stop there, and you think about relationships in daily life, it goes a long way. 
Well, you say, I'm not always that way. I can't be that way. We'll go back to chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes we think about being an ambassador, making disciples as being points in time, the big things in life. Paul is speaking of it as life. Humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another. And the power that is beyond what we can ask or comprehend is at work within us. I'll give you an example from my own life where I needed Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 in relation to being an ambassador. I was hired to be a janitor while I was in college in the Red Bank School District. And parts of cleaning the school were okay. There were some parts that were just not very nice. Probably the worst part was cleaning the girls' bathroom. If you think boys are gross, if you would have saw what was on the floor and what was on the ceiling in a girl's bathroom, it was bad. And I don't need to say any more. I won't try to describe any more. I could have went to my boss and whined and complained to him. But as an ambassador for Christ, I am called to fulfill my job in submission to my boss. To be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to be bearing with others. I did my job. He never heard a word from me. And I just thought, you know, this is the pits. And Ruthann agreed with me when she went with me a couple times because of some fears that she had with a guy that was breaking into homes and so on in the area in which we lived. But see, that was part of being an ambassador. Dad had taught me, along with my brothers and my sister, you do what you're told, you don't argue, you don't whine, you don't complain. That's part of living godly. Take that to another job that I had delivering newspapers. Rusty Moon was basically an alcoholic. But every morning he would drop off my papers at the proper place and I would pick them up soon after he dropped them off or was waiting when he went to drop them off. Rusty, to my knowledge from what he told me, was willing to listen to what I had to say about God, but to no one else. And I don't say that to my own credit. I say that merely because he never called me on the phone at 4.30 in the morning to get me out of bed to come and deliver my papers. So part of being an ambassador was to fulfill my job, to be humble, to be gentle, to bear with this guy who was kind of crude and so on. That opened some doors. Did Rusty ever come to Christ? I don't know. I sowed some seed. But I'm not responsible for the seed germinating, as I said this morning. But I did sow some seed. 
See, that's life. That's an ambassador mindset. You, some of you could give examples of that happening in your life. Go over a couple books to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul writes to the Thessalonians. He's defending himself to some extent. Apparently, Paul ministered there, and then Paul, along with Silas and Timothy, got some bad press. And Paul writes to basically say, look, what you heard isn't true. I'm not that way. We're leaping into the context. In chapter 4, he's talking about living a life that is pleasing to God. In verse 11, he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business. And to work with your hands, just as we told you. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And so that you may not be dependent on anybody. Live a quiet life. Not rushing, not hurrying, not running hither and thither. To mind your own business. Do you ever stop and think about how much of the news is really not your business? What can you do about it? Why do you need to know? Do you ever stop and think about how much we talk about world events that is really probably none of our business, but we can get highly upset about it. Mind your own business. What's happening in the neighbor's life? Probably none of our business. What did you hear about? I don't care to hear about it. It's none of my business. And then he says, work with your hands. Just as we told you, for what reason? So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. So that you will not have to be dependent on anybody. Apparently some of the Thessalonians were saying, Christ is returning soon, so we're not going to work. And they were becoming dependent on others. But he clearly says, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. You ever consider part of being an ambassador, part of making disciples, is to live in such a way that your life wins the respect of outsiders. Hey, I want to listen to Lorraine. I've watched Neil work. When he speaks, I'm willing to listen. Or I might ask Neil about this or that. I've watched Joe and Eunice for a number of years and how they relate to one another. My wife and I just don't get along very good. I think I might ask Joe and Eunice if they can give us some input. See, those are all open doors involved in making disciples that spring from how we live and how we respond. So you go to the doctor and the doctor says, the test, I've come back that you probably have about two months to live. You weren't really expecting that. And you say to the doctor, well, I was hoping to live a little longer, but if that's the news, I'm ready. I know what's going to happen when I die. Would you like to know? Something about that? 
See, that's all part of living with a making disciples mindset. See, it's Peter who said to the believers who were going through persecution in 1 Peter, that if you live and respond in a certain way, there may be open doors of opportunity to share Christ. He says, when people ask you of the reason of the hope that you have. Now remember, the context of 1 Peter is that they were having hope because some of them were being burned at the stake, their property was being confiscated, some of them were losing their jobs, all because they were believers. And they continue to walk with God. And all believers say, what's wrong with you? Why do you have hope? Well, here's why. It's because of Christ and what he has done. See, the 12 went out and they preached in various areas and then went to another area. There's a strong emphasis on the verbal. When you live in a settled community, you live with neighbors, you work with neighbors and so on. A mindset of just living Godly, and that resulting in open doors of opportunity. Over and over again, all the scriptures listed there tie in with making disciples. Thinking about that in daily life. So, some observations. Believers in Christ must go to unbelievers and relate on their turf. See this in daily life. Maybe a neighbor, a job, school, paying bills, shopping, sports. We're not to wait on them to come to us. So when you think of making disciples, see that as while you go shopping. The checkout person is kind of slow and made a mistake. You're living as an ambassador with an making the disciples mindset. The Spirit of God is at work within you and you gently say, you know, there's a mistake here. Don't need to get angry and upset because this is an opportunity to relate to a non-believer on their turf. You're in the hospital and the nurse maybe isn't real nice, whatever nice is. And you in all gentleness and humility respond in that way. And the nurse says, you're a rare breed of a patient. Why? Why? Well, I'm an ambassador of Christ. I've come to faith in Christ. Let me tell you about him. But see, relating on their turf. We all relate to unbelievers on their turf. And think about that from a making disciples mindset. It's part of making disciples. You invite a neighbor into your home. That can be part of making disciples. Just showing love and concern. 
and caring for them. See, the way we live when we live in a settled community opens doors to share Christ. The epistles make it very clear that as a disciple of Christ, or that our living as a disciple of Christ will open doors to verbalize the gospel in a settled community. We're not forcing the gospel of Christ on an unwilling audience of one, two, or more. We're sharing with a willing audience who, because of our lifestyle, is willing to listen. Follow me in that, or am I losing you? See, some of the passages we looked at tie in with the lifestyle. We live our life in a settled community. So I grew up with an uncle living down the road from us who was a disciple of Christ. You go to the next house down, and there was a family there of seven children, along with a mom and dad who were not believers in Christ. You go up the road, we lived, or a family lived there, had three children. They were not believers in Christ. You go on beyond that, there was another family that lived with a couple of kids who were not believers in Christ. You went up to the next house, and there were some more unbelievers there. And then the Brubakers lived, you know, down the road here. I'm not going to answer this, I'm just posing the question. How many times did we have to interact with those neighbors because of how we lived as a family? See, that's part of making disciples. See, our neighbors knew about us. They knew how dad responded when the crops were bad. They knew how dad responded when the market was bad and, you know, beef, cattle, the price wasn't very high. We say, how do they know how dad responded? Well, he talked to them occasionally. And what do farmers talk about? Farming. They knew how we got along as a family. They knew whether my parents fought or not. You say, how do they know that? Well, mom and dad had five kids that talked. You know, kids let a lot out of the bag about their parents. You know, they, oh, mom and dad were fighting. Just don't think anything about it. You know, little kids do that. Teenagers might say, I'm really struggling because mom and dad responded this way. But to put the shoe on the other foot, our neighbors knew how we kids got along too and how we responded to mom and dad. You say, how do you know that? Or how do they know that? Because in the course of conversation, mom and dad might say something about us kids. Wait, Dan was a real thorn in the side this week. No, when you live in a subtle community, people know not that they're snooping, it's just the way life is. But the way we live, God says, is to open doors to share Christ. I want to emphasize the next point. There cannot be making disciples without the verbalizing of the gospel of Christ. A godly lifestyle is not sufficient. 
how many believers freely verbalize the gospel. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about politics. We can talk about world events. We can talk about our kids. We can talk about anything under the sun. But why are we so slow to talk about Christ? I'm asking. I'm not. If you have a response, fine. If not, why do we struggle so with that? There seems to be some fear there. We'll discuss that sometime in the future. But if God is working in my life, I'm walking with God, I'm living with Christ as my life, and the Spirit is at work in me, won't God come up in the course of conversation? Because he's my life. Well, they might get upset. There's not very many people that will get upset if you bring up God in the course of conversation, if you have a relationship with them in any way, shape, or form, and you've been living godly. Now, if you push them too far, they might. But verbalizing the gospel. My lifestyle will not make a disciple. My lifestyle will open doors to verbalize the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So keep that in mind. The way we live, the way we respond, God's design is that it opens some doors. As in physical birth, conception may not be seen in the unbeliever. But the physical birth is seen just as the spiritual birth is seen. Hope may be necessary in the birth. When it comes to physical things, you don't know when conception takes place. It may be obvious or in some way, shape, or form, you may check it out later on. So as we live godly, we're open to talking about Christ, maybe a little bit here, maybe a little bit there. A person may come to faith in Christ. You know, conception may take place. But that's not our job. Our job is to be faithful as ambassadors. Just as a plant needs water, fertilizer, etc. A new disciple needs care, nurturing to mature. If you're a parent, see your lifestyle with your, or living before your kids as an opportunity to nurture your children. If you're employed, you work with an unbeliever, and that unbeliever will come to Christ. See, you're working with them as an opportunity to nurture them in walking with God. If you have a neighbor who comes to faith in Christ, see every encounter with them or special times where you may get together as opportunities to nurture. Seed that germinates can be seen in time. But the germination cannot be forced. You may live godly before someone for years. You may freely talk about God. You may freely talk about the gospel. You may have planted some seed. 
Maybe someone else is going to water it, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, but God's the one who gives the increase. But if seed germinates, it can be seen in time. No, it does grow, and it does produce. What's the end result? A sinner repents of sin, comes to faith in Christ, due to comprehending the gospel of Christ, embracing the gospel of Christ, and making it their own. Please don't see making disciples as something you add to your life that is done at points in time. See it as your life. So tomorrow morning when you get up, think, I'm an ambassador for Christ today. I'm involved in making disciples by the way I live and the way I respond. Will you say, I don't always live perfectly. I've made mistakes along the way. I sin at times. Good. Join the crowd. We all do. But see, the way you handle sin and failure is part of being a disciple. Here's the way not to handle it. When Ruth Ann and I were dating, and some of you knew that I got a speeding ticket, the night Ruth Ann graduated, I left around midnight. And uh, I was going into Mifflinburg. I glanced at my speedometer. I was doing 55. I knew I was coming into town. I slowed down. I thought I did. I'm not going to debate that one way or the other. About halfway through town, out of the corner of my eye, I remember seeing a set of headlights. And lo and behold, I got to 104, started up the hill, and the lights came on behind me. He said, do you know that you were doing 55 in a 25-mile-an-hour zone? I said, sir, I was not. I could tell by his response, I better shut up. He wrote me up. And uh, and I got some paperwork in the mail. And I went to Dad and whined and complained. Well, were you speeding, Dan? I was probably speeding, but I don't think I was doing 55 in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. Well, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I don't have a lot of sympathy for you. If you did wrong, there's a penalty to be paid. So when I found out that I was going to lose my license for 30 days, pay a hefty fine, get enough points that I had to go to school all over one offense, I was not happy. So I whined and complained to Ruth Ann, and she said, it won't do any good to go to your, um, what do you call it, hearing? Because that guy's a real, we'll just leave it at that, you know, he's not a nice guy. So, being as stubborn as I was, I went to the state police. And I was in college at this time down Doylestown, and I went to the barracks. I said, look, here's what I got for one offense. They didn't have any sympathy for me whatsoever. I whined and complained to the family I was living with. I whined and complained to some guys in college. Do you get the picture that I did not live with a making disciples mindset? Officer, you say you clocked me at 55 in a 25 mile an hour zone. 
I don't think I was doing that, but if you write me up, I guess I'll have to accept it. Go home and say, Dad, you know, I get caught for speeding. I'm responsible. I'll pay the penalty, whatever it is. No need to whine and complain to Ruth Ann or to her brother and so on. See, did I ever go back to those people and say, I didn't respond very well, did I? Dad, I'm sorry. I whined and complained and gave you a hard time. I was passing the buck on to someone else. Did I go to those guys in school that were unbelievers and say, you know, I was whining and complaining about getting a speeding ticket. I'm sorry. I didn't respond correctly. That's not the way I should be living and responding. See, even when we fail, how we respond makes a big difference. So in a public setting, I lose my cool at my children. And people observe. They know that. As the Spirit of God convicts, and I in that same public setting say, I'm sorry, kids, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And my unsaved neighbor is listening. My kids who are still unbelievers are hearing. My coworker happens to be somewhere and here's what is happening. How can he admit he is wrong? What's different about him? See, that's all part of walking with God. With an ambassador mindset. With a making disciples mindset. I would encourage you as I encourage myself to think about making disciples as just life. It's part of life. Questions or comments as we wrap it up? <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, thank you and praise you for who you are, how you've worked in our lives. And may we not see making disciples as merely verbalizing the gospel, sharing at a point in time, but a lifestyle of living in sensitivity to you, walking with you, and as there's open doors to verbalize the gospel. May we see it as planning, watering, but ultimately you give the increase. And may we more and more live in such a way that our lives reflect Christ. In his name I pray, amen.